So we have a new intro, everyone, that Steven wrote for us. Yay. So that, that was the perfect lead-in for you to start the podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, we're recording. I'm sorry. I didn't even see we were recording. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't I kick it off then? <clears throat> Welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast, a weekly show about all things engineering, DIY projects, manufacturing, industry news, and general nerdery. We're your host, electrical engineers, Stephen Craig. And Parker Dolman. This is episode 309. Okay, Stephen. Last week, we talked about projects that we were going to do on our holiday time off. So, How far did you get? Well, okay. So let, let me start. Let me start counting up here. As I mentioned in in the last episode, my my Christmas gift that I asked for was time to work on these projects, and I got a boatload of time. Like I got, yeah, I've 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 been blessed this season. Let's just say I've I've had five straight days of just being able to work on projects. So in the that five days, I hand placed nine, ten, eleven surface mount PCBs. Uh, I built three guitar pedals, uh, and then I got my longest running project, my longest open project functioning, uh, and I repaired a client's amplifier in the last five days. So overall, I would say that um, I'm, I'm pretty successful. I think I think it all came out. Did well. you exceed your expectations? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, yes, yes. Which is maybe the first time I've done that. <laughs> like, I usually go into these things with really lofty uh, goals, being like, I can get all this done, and then I get like not even one of them done. And in this case, I got nearly all of it done. The, of course, I, there's always some more. Um, and and in doing all of these projects, I probably made some more work because, like, yeah, the projects in a lot of ways are done. But I'm like, mm, there's some modifications I already want to do. Or do you want to? Or do you want to? Uh, what's what's the word that we don't like to say around here? Feature creep. Oh, scope creep. Well, okay. So feature creep. Uh, now that brings up here's a here's a tangent for you. Does feature creep count if you're adding things after you've built it, or does feature creep only count when you're doing the design itself? Well, you're technically going to be making a revision two of your project. So, yeah, yeah, it totally counts. We can call it something else, though. Uh, we need to come. Yeah, we need to come up with a name for that. Feature creep to me feels like I'm in the design. It's like phase. during the design. Yeah, I'm doing the um, digital work on my computer. Yeah, not even just digital work, but just like when you write out the spec sheet of what a product should be. Yeah. That's when feature creep happens or scope creep, I should say. Mm, yeah. Revision creep. Revision creep. Hmm. I totally get what you're saying. It's like after I built my brewery the first time and I'm like, this can be so much better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so that, that, that project that I was, that I've been working on for over a decade, uh, the tube compressor, I finished it and, I'm using finish loosely because, like, it functions. It does what it's supposed to do. Like, I can plug a microphone into it, and I can see it compressing, and all the all the knobs and everything do what they want to do. I just want them to do some more. I want I want to enhance it. Let's just say. And and luckily with that project, I have 
um, a lot of control over the circuitry that's pretty easy. So, like, right now the compression happens in this device, but not... I want it to be wider. I want the compression to happen earlier. Uh, because this... The whole circuit I have right now really, really wants to have a super hot signal on the input. So this compressor works great with a with a mic preamp in front of it, and that's fine. But even with a mic preamp, you have to hit it with a really heavy signal for the detector to actually detect and start compressing. So I just wanted to, to increase the sensitivity of it a little bit, uh, which is nice because in the original design for this compressor, the the envelope or the amplitude detector was a bridge uh, rectifier that comes right off of a transformer. So the transformer is sensing the output signal, and then it it rectifies it and uh, smooths it out, and that is your signal that gets sent back and changes the gain of the amplifier. And and in the original design, that was just transformer rectifier, blah blah blah. That wasn't really a great design because it just uh, it doesn't respond fast enough. The impedances are a little bit funky and off. So in this current revision that I'm playing with, I actually took a design that was that already exists and kind of modified it to be my own. Um, and it's basically a high-powered op-amp. It's an op-amp that goes into a, a dual-transistor driver stage. So it has boatloads of current available, and I and I'm basically in between the transformer and the detector stage i put a high powered op amp that can just drive heavy loads which allows this compressor to have way faster attack times uh and it can charge large value capacitors much faster than the previous design kind of thing well that whole detector circuit works fine it's just it doesn't it has unity gain right now so i think i can just adjust some resistor values and make it a lot more sensitive therefore my threshold um doesn't have to be as intense to start the compression so all of that is just in my opinion like the circuit functions that's just polish i've got all these circuits to the point where they work now there's a lot of polish in there polish creep <laughs> well and that's i'm actually holding up now one of my other circuits that i uh designed and built over the uh break which is a phaser pedal this this pedal works awesome. It does all the functions that I want it to do. It's just most of the functions are like ninety percent of the way there. Uh, they like they function exactly how I want it's them a good to. MVP. I just want them to be more, you know. And most yeah, of the good, time with this kind of circuit, more just means adjust gains. So, in terms of like calling something done, yes, it functions, but I just need to change some values of stuff. Yeah, you need a rev to. I mean, that's a great you know, product to show someone who's like interested in it because it it fully functions. It's just not ready to be released to the world. Can I oh, play yeah. that sample? Oh, sure. I mean, you, like you can play some really terrible guitar playing. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I built I built this uh, phaser based off of a SSI 2140 VCF chip. <laughs> Thank you. 
There's some yeah. there's some vaguely Pink Floyd stuff going on there, so hopefully we don't get a, very, a little bit, yeah. Get it uh, struck for that. I'm gonna have to. I'll send that to Josh so that he can put it in there. Okay, maybe I should uh, actually play one that's decent because like, that was some pretty bad play. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. Yeah, uh, but yeah, yeah. So like, it does what it needs to do. It's just I I measured some of the uh, voltages on like the LFO and things like that, and I had originally designed it to do plus to minus five volts and it's doing like plus minus three volts because i had some gains off so that's just like resistor changes and things so yeah um it's it's a little bit of grunt work but the polish is the polish is what makes uh these circuits like sets them apart shine yeah because like uh, i i know like i could stop this right now and just be like it's done because it functions right but like really getting that good edge and like getting where i want it to be is is the next step Mm-hmm. So yeah, that um, those all worked out well. I I, I got the um, rotary switches that I've been wanting to make for months and months done. I just needed to dedicate a whole day to placing resistors because I placed eight hundred something resistors in a day. Just put on a whole bunch of heavy metal and sit under a microscope for five or six hours. Uh, but <laughs> did you hand solder with the uh... Did you did you do um, did you reflow them or did you actually solder iron them? I cheated. I I did I did a hybrid process and and here's why I say hybrid. Uh, I did actually get a stencil and and just pasted them, but I used leaded paste, which is like easy mode uh, because it melted like nothing whatsoever. You and, you, you, you uh just like breathe breathe on the board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and leaded paste has Im- amazing surface tension uh, on it. So, like, I just took a really low flow, four hundred and twenty degree hot air, and everything just kind of snapped into place. And uh, cool. it's like you have to put about half the amount of heat into it to make lead melt. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I normally don't use lead, but uh, since I was building this entirely from home. Uh, and it was just a project that's going for me that I was like, you know what? I'll make it, I'll do easy mode so I don't have to fight with lead free solder. Yeah. 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 And it's a really small amount of solder too. I love it too, because the, I can't remember how many, uh, different values of resistors, but I was like, you know, I haven't priced this out. And, uh, I ended up overbuying every value by like 10 or 15 resistors and it still came out to twenty dollars worth of resistors or something so it worked out it was like it's like 40 different line items on those boards oh easily 40 but yeah because it's just it's it's ridiculous what i what i was trying to do with these resistor ladder strings to get exact or not exact as close as i can to one db per step in rotation and uh, i got really close uh this it worked out fantastic the the total string of resistors on this is 15k and I read virtually the same value um, across nine different PCBs of this. And then um, I took a bunch of data on it, which I've actually posted all of my data up in our Slack channel if you want to join up and uh, take a look at that. But uh, I put all the data up there, and every unit was basically I'm getting a tolerance of less than 0.3% across all units and then from unit to unit my worst spread is also about 
0.3%. So in, in other words, the whole tolerance of each one of these rotary switches is uh, be way better than any dual gang pot I can, I can purchase. It just takes a full days of work to build them <laughs> when I can get a dual gang pot for like a buck 50, you know? Yeah. It's the, it's the destination though. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, well, that's the destination. The journey was, was certainly just a handful of hours of just placing resistance. Well, as I said, it's the destination that counted on that project. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, these are the only rotary switches out there that are like this. And, you know, if I wanted to buy something like this, I've priced it out. They're like many hundreds of dollars because probably somebody has to do what I did uh, in yeah, order exactly. to make them. So these are like super hyper custom. If someone wanted to buy some from you, what would you sell them for? A couple hundred dollars. You see, the thing, the thing was, I had the whole, like, frame of the switch. I just needed to replace the actual element, the, the PCB yeah. element. Uh, so, it, like, if I had to, if I had, like, frames available, lots of them, and I just manufactured boards, I would just do a full run of boards on a pick-and-place line and just make a ton of them. Because, like, these boards could be made really cheaply. Um even if you bought a full reel of every single value, it still would be only a few hundred dollars, you know? Yeah, I wonder if um, if someone's ever interested, you could say, hey, buy this part that you're going to take apart for the frame, and then you can sell the boards on, you know, only PCBs. <laughs> the thing is, I've never seen these... Uh, these uh, rotary switches, the frames, I've never seen them before anywhere. I bought them when I bought the PCBs for this project a decade ago off of a person who just had them. Only PCBs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> 10 years ago. And so like Oh wow, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the 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 rotary switches have been around for a long time, but um these rotary switches were just the switch uh, bodies with PCB like through-hole pads. So you were supposed to yeah. solder through-hole resistors into them and make your own thing out of it and that didn't work out terribly well. That's why I just replaced the actual switch PCB on it with my own custom stuff. But I mean, I would love to share this with anyone who has this exact switch out there, but like I said, I've never seen it before. So yeah, I don't know if, if anyone is ever interested in that, I'd be happy to share all my files with them, but it's a super ridiculously custom thing for a very custom item. Yeah. A compressor. <laughs> yeah, a, a compressor. Yeah, I, I suppose, you know, maybe somebody out there has some kind of audio equipment where they want 24 steps, 1 dB per step. Maybe. At like maybe. a dual gang version of that. Like, that's super, I don't know, that's really specific. And and anyway, like, I, I would think most people would do that in the digital domain nowadays anyway. You could be way more accurate for a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah, you could use a twenty. You could use a a, a a rotary encoder and have like a a you know a display like <laughs> indicate all of it. Like yeah. this is this is so ridiculous what I made, but I love it. <laughs> um, so I didn't finish painting the golf cart frame. Well, you you were coding it, right? Or did the coding already happen? I was painting it. Yes, coding it. Uh, well, it was it's sort of like a mixture of both, right? Uh, it's that AG11 or AG111 paint. Um, 
I guess it, they call it a coating because basically if it's beyond like spray paint or it's like a professional paint, it, they call it coatings. Well, wasn't it? Fancier. Wasn't there two steps? There was like a coat. Yeah, there's two paint steps that goes over it in a way. Yeah, yeah. There's a sealer primer. That's yeah. a one part urethane, and then there's a two part urethane that goes over that. Yeah. Well, I ran out of two part urethane. Oh, that sucks. Um, yeah. So what was happening is I was painting it, and then like. I had all my pieces hung up in my garage. I, I I think I have a picture of it. Of like, it's like a horror movie where like people go hide and there's like chainsaws and stuff hanging around, but like it's all metal and you can't barely see in like the garage. It looked like that. <laughs> um, so everything's just hanging from the ceiling on metal hooks. And um, well, so I was painting. I was like halfway done, and. Um, a piece of metal fell off one of the hooks right into the into my mix bucket. Oh, well, I mixed all the two part urethane and cracked the bucket. <laughs> and so I have a <laughs> and so I had to scoop <laughs> up all the two part urethane with like a dustpan because oh. it's like spreading out, oozing all over my epoxy floor. There was probably some choice four letter words being thrown around. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was not fun. So I scooped it up into a new mixing container. I lost probably about an eighth of a, a quart. Oh, so not too much. Not too bad. Yeah. Um, and then I cleaned up the spot. A good thing is I do have an epoxy floor, so like I was able to wipe most of it up with minimal staining. It's still a big dark circle <laughs> where, where it spilt. Um, Did so it I didn't like, have enough fuse to finish. with your epoxy floor? Well, the epoxy floor is like it's the epoxy soaked into the concrete so it's like it's not perfectly smooth got it okay my my concrete floor is not smooth in there um so there's like ridges so you can't clean i'm not going to go in there with a toothbrush with a thinner and like scrub it all out oh yeah any good garage floor should tell a story right oh yeah this is where this is where i dropped and lost 20 dollars worth of paint (laughs) (laughs) um so i had to order more uh, two-part urethane it came in yesterday so yesterday evening i finished up the last pieces uh of the paint so it's actually drying right now in my garage um tomorrow i'm going to start assembling all the pieces so basically i'm like three four days behind on that project um i did do other things on it like i redid the electrical took apart all the old uh loom off of it and cleaned it because sand and electrical loom it's just it's just nasty. Um, got that all taken care of. So, yeah. Didn't you it's, bolt it's, together two parts of the frame? I thought I got a text about that. Bolted two parts of the frame together. I, I thought I got a text from you saying uh, the bolted the first two parts together or something like. That. Oh, I put the I put the rear leaves into the back of the frame. So it's begun. Like the the yeah, it's the beginning uh, it of the end. Started. It's starting. Yeah. yeah. So the idea is I'm going to put everything together, and then when it's all put together, I'm going to put it up on the my lift to get underneath it, and I'm going to make sure that I'm basically going to coat all exposed bolts and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff with this paint to basically make sure that I didn't miss any spots and there's no scratches, stuff like that. When um, you went and picked it up, did you just get the frame or did you get the whole cart? I got the whole cart. Oh, okay. Okay. So you have to yeah. rebuild the entire thing, basically. Yeah. Like the body of it's in my backyard right now. 
the shells. Are you going to repaint that, that too? No, no, I'm going to leave that. It's plastic. It yeah. looks fine. Right. Especially after I cleaned it, it looks, it's green. <laughs> um, Come on, you, like you should deliver it to your mom with like flames on it and like a racing decals on it. <laughs> no, it, the, the body itself looks okay. Yeah. Um, all the plastic bits were fine. It's just uh, all the metal needed to be gone through and sandblasted and cleaned up and painted. Um, so yeah, that that's that project. And so since basically I had a couple of days where I wasn't working on that. Um, I played a lot of pinball, so I worked on my, um, my space shuttle's completely done. Um, so I started working on Congo, my old Congo pinball machine. Um, and so I actually cleaned it, set it up. Um, I'm not going to do too much to it because it works just fine. And it, it's play field is, um, in perfectly good shape and that kind of stuff. Um, one of the switches is so basically I'm making a list of like what I need to do to it um, before I'm like, okay, it's good to go. Like I don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I need to replace some of the LEDs on it. Um, and like one of the rollover switches is not working and that's it. Like it's amazing how like it seriously, I set it up, like put new batteries for the backup in it and it fired right up and was playing right away. Like one switch stopped working. Nice. And the LEDs were like, there's kind of flickery. So I'm like, okay, those need to be replaced eventually. So I made a list, ordered those parts. Um, but I ran into the problem of, oh, where am I going to put my beer? And I'm playing pinball. And so you can buy these things called pin gulps, which are like a holder for your beer or drink i guess that bolts to your pinball leg too and i'm like i want one now <laughs> and so i went into autodesk fusion and drafted up a a holder and printed one up <laughs> so okay so i've seen a handful of um pictures of this parker was showing it when he first made it this looks fantastic uh and and it's changing my opinions on 3d printing <laughs> uh, like i i haven't been anti 3d printing i just think like 99 percent of the time 3d printing you see like uh it ends up just being like action figures and little toys yeah and and with uh um with the with the print style with the the layers they just look terrible most of the time to be frank most of the time 3d printing looks like toys but bad toys when Parker's using his new goop printer, I can't remember what it's called. The, the <laughs> goop Mars. Yeah, the, goop printer is a good, good that, term. It for comes it. out looking fantastic. It looks yeah, like, it looks great. It looks so good. Um, it looks like a three D uh, injection molder. It part. looks like injection molder part. It yeah. does. Um, so this this I printed this on. I have a uh, my new Elugu Mars three, um, and I printed this. It, it took five hours to print, and you can tell that. I, I printed it at an angle. Um, yeah. Because this yeah. is like the might be like it's not the tallest thing I could print, but it's like the biggest X, Y it can print because I mm. had it printed at an angle. And the reason why you have to print it at an angle because um, you get what's called peel forces in your printer and you just have to experiment with it. And because I first tried printing it just straight up 
And once it got to this little U shape, um, it started to peel away uh, from the from the body. And so I had to basically stop the print, peel it off, and then um, tweak the orientation to design so that it could print correctly. And mm-hmm. just, it turned out great. Yeah, I, I I feel like if you painted that, um, oh, you, yeah. you wouldn't be able to tell. You, you would not tell. Um, so DJ in chat, wondering how long it would be faster if I if you, I ordered it. Well, it only took me one hour to do the CAD work, and then about seven hours to print, because like the first two hours was on a failed print. Um, and I'm actually printing one right now on my FDM printer out of polycarbonate. Because what I want to do is, uh, I showed this to my dad, and my dad's like, "You need to print cup holders for the golf cart now." <laughs> and so I'm, I modified the bracket. The, the golf cart in the front already has cup holders, but in the back seats um, that are rear facing, there's no cup holders. And so I designed a cup holder that fits on like the new like little youth shape thing in the back that's got like the the slow vehicle sign on it and stuff, but. And I had to make them bigger because my dad wanted to put a whole like, um, uh, not a koozie, but what's what's the vacuum? Uh, the oh the stainless, like, yeah, like the Yeti, whatever. Yeah, Yeti, Yeti, Yeti. Yeah. I, for some reason, I was thinking their competitor, Arctic. For some reason, I'm, I'm sure they make something too. Yeah, they do. But yeah, a Yeti. People will know what Yetis are. So. Um, he wanted me to make a, a bigger diameter one that would fit a Yeti. And of course, my my Elegoo is not big enough to print that, so I'm printing it on the polycarbonate one. And also, the problem with the resin is it's UV cure, and so, and if you give it too much UV, it gets really brittle. Polycarbonate is UV; um, it's naturally UV uh, stable. Mm-hmm. So I'm printing out of so it can be I don't outside. Have to paint, I don't have to paint it or anything. I just bolt it right to the thing right right. so it won't look as nice as this but it'll look my prints turn out pretty freaking good that looks fantastic like i'm i'm actually surprised at how good that looks like that looks like the way that 3d printing like when you first imagine it in your mind should look yeah i'll say sla printers um really for me changed the game on how good the prints are there are downsides to the sla printer like the resin is stinky. It's like when the FDM printer is done, you seriously pop it off. It's ready to go. Right. SLA, you got to wash it, post-process it, UV cure it. Um, it's not UV stable. I mean, most plastics that people print like PLA is not UV stable anyways. But there are there's a much more variety of materials with FDM for sure, which is SLA. Even the strongest SLA stuff that I've tried still isn't as good as the polycarbonate. Polycarbonate out of FDM is like, yeah. If if you could get rid of the lines, that'd be like the king crop right there. Yeah, but um, but you can definitely tell where like the color changed in the print. Yeah, why why is that happening? I had I, I ran out of black and had to fill up the reservoir mid print. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought that was some kind of artifact from doing it diagonally. No, I just poured in gray into the black as it was printing. Got and it. this I'm I'm actually printing another one too right now. 
my other pinball machine. And uh, so it's like mostly gray, but it was running out. So I put white in it because that's just what I had. And uh, so it's going to be the same. It's going to be like marbly color. It's going to be interesting. Hmm. It's fun. Just mi- big scoop together. It's like when you're a kid and you like mix all the shampoos in the shower together. <laughs> so it's like bubble boiling trouble. <laughs> yeah. I like I like DJ's uh, solution though is to weld a pinball leg to the golf cart and then I can just bolt these directly on. Yeah, because that bolt pattern is the same as your uh, pinball leg, right? Exactly. Yeah, this that matches this. So I'll I'll share this. I should put it up on Thingiverse. I did look. There are other like people have designed this already, so it's not like the first one out there. Um, but I'll actually toss up the Autodesk Fusion file. So if you want to like modify the design, like make it bigger or taller or whatever, done. It's all parametric, and I designed it in a convenient way to edit the settings. That's 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 one that's one thing I've been learning more and more about with Autodesk. Um, Steven is getting better at planning your design out. Oh yeah, yeah. If you if you don't do that, you'll walk down a bad path. Bad path. And so, like designing stuff out and then dimensioning it in a way that you know you can easily edit later. Yeah, yeah. Like getting rid of conflicts. That happened in the future. Yeah. Like avoiding that is big. Avoiding conflicts down the road. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's just that's what I did with this. I, I was pretty happy with it. Um. What I've been doing in Infusion, um, more recently is trying my best to use as much their inbuilt, uh, uh what is it called, functions as as possible. Like. You, I could draw a circle and extrude it through to make a hole, and that's fine. Or I could draw a point at the center of a hole and then use a hole command and make a yes. hole. And there's yeah. differences between those, the way that Fusion handles it. It tends to like when it defines the hole and you just tell it where. Like a lot of those kinds of functions. You could draw a, a 45 degree on a side thing and then extrude it to make a chamfer or you could use the chamfer command and you'll get better results most of the time using the chamfer command uh so just lots of things like that i've been trying to implement more than trying to brute force my way through drawings yeah that's i've been doing that a lot too i mean that's why i did here i'm like these are points and then i use the whole command to do the holes the best thing about that is you know where to go find your hole Mm-hmm. And the and like the history, and so you can, and so you can easily edit the size of these holes, um, or if you wanted to put like a chamfer on them or something, it'd be a lot easier. So, I, what, one of the things I really love with Fusion is, um, even though it's really strict, how it handles uh, assemblies is great. Uh, so I try to be as strict as possible when it comes to assemblies. Like, let's say I have a an enclosure of some sort. Uh, you know, you have the enclosure, you modify the enclosure itself to have all the holes, and then you bring the enclosure in with its other parts and you mate those parts to the holes, um, and then you modify from there and go up to the next level. If you ever get to the point where you need to 
say, move a hole or something like that, it's best to go all the way to the bottom level and then suck it up to the top level throughout all the sub-assemblies toward your top level, as opposed to breaking your links and then destroying everything down the line, mm-hmm. which I've done it both ways, some some out of laziness and some out of um, just like trying to be really strict. And if you play by the rules, like you'll just get better results all the time. Yeah, I still need to work on the assembly aspect because my last assembly i i messed up halfway through it and i'm like well too late now keep going right right <laughs> fortunately i didn't have to go back too much in my last design i did that was like a multi-part assembly and it turned out great the stuff i had to edit i didn't have to really go too far back in time to fix but i definitely need to spend some time practicing multi-level assemblies and fusion um this is this is just one piece so well right yeah yeah i i've I've gotten to the point now where for most of my projects even though it adds time to the project i will 3d model it um just to make sure my pcb fits um especially because like on these enclosures that i've been dealing with they have a fairly severe draft angle on them of uh this is two degrees i believe but um the what what enclosure is that this is a uh, hammond 1590 bb2 yeah 1590 bb2 is is the uh, the enclosure it's a it's a die cast aluminum enclosure so it has a has a decent draft angle on it which affects the total window size of your pcb well i know i have certain standoffs of components from the inside edge but when it comes to maximizing your pcb area on the inside i ended up just downloading the 3d model from hammond themselves bringing that into fusion and then modeling all the all the parts and the the PCB which luckily I already had all the parts already modeled so like all the assets are there I just had to suck in my PCB from dip trace um, and in fact you know um w- it was interesting I was I was when I was modeling all this up it, I was really thinking I, I know people are working on this Autodesk is already doing this with with Eagle I believe but being able to have your PCB in Eagle and then just go directly into your PC to des- design from from right there I'm realizing like there's so much value from system level design in that sense because like take for example in this enclosure with the fact that it doesn't have straight walls if I have things that marry to those walls I've now, inherited that draft angle into all my PCBs on um, inside the enclosure. And so it would be so awesome if I could just model the PCB and then go right into it, place all my parts, and then check all the fits and everything. If that doesn't work, just within Fusion, if I could modify the board outline to work with the stack-up of how everything else fits together on the fly right now i don't have that capability right now if i find a conflict i have to switch over to dip trace change everything re-export bring it into fusion check again it takes a lot of uh extra work to do that so back and forth yeah there's a there's a ton of value i see in in having your 3d cad work and your electrical work together maybe maybe one day i'll have to switch to eagle just because of that it's not that perfect yet in eagle but it's getting close I haven't. I haven't used it. Have you tried it at all? I I, I tried it a long time ago, and it, that's why I'm getting my. It's not perfect. It does work. Okay. Not perfect. Um, I did like a 3D rendering for like our website. So. Oh, got it. Yeah. Because I'm wondering, like, can you? 
do you select an item in Fusion and say like, oh, this is a PCB, and therefore it like no, it's over? like you. It might have changed since I last used it, but in Eagle, there's a push to Fusion button, and oh, it, okay, and it makes an object in your like Fusion the tree. vault. Oh, okay. yeah, whatever it's called, vault. Where like you know when you first boot up Fusion on the left side, there's all your items yeah. like in your folders and stuff so you can click your models it adds it to like there i think oh okay that's convenient yeah yeah so you can just pull it in as a component nice okay and then and then when you're in fusion can you select that item and say i want to edit it and then it brings you to eagle there is a way to do that you can like move a connector and like it will push back down the eagle and so you have to reroute it that's nice. Like there's okay. there's a little bit of back and forth. Right. It's I want to try it now since it's been like a year. I want to say it's been two years since I've used it. Because I just don't do a lot of enclosure work for my stuff. You know, I'm I, you know, I'm pretty married to Diptrace because I use it in my day job and all of my own personal stuff. But if there was a really good if if Eagle was really fantastic at doing that marrying between the two, I would almost be willing to switch just because of that 3D aspect. Yeah, I'll have to give it a shot again, see how well it works. So, so before we go on to our next topic, everyone out there, click that subscribe button. Go to macfab.com slash podcast, click the podcast links, and there's a subscribe button there. Click that subscribe button. That way you get our podcast right when it comes out. Um, also, check out our Slack channel. Uh, Steve and I post a lot of our in-work projects. There's a there's over 600 like podcast enthusiasts, people who use Macrofab, people who build electronics in that Slack channel. It's a very good resource if you're asking a question. Think of it like it's like Stack Exchange except for electronics. Actually, that's a really tall order. Might may not be stack exchange level, but it's getting close. Um, and that's macfab.com slash slack. And uh anything else on that, Steven? No, joy um just join up. It's it's a lot of fun in there. a uh, lot of a lot of good uh information, a lot of cool people. Yeah. Um so I got some sheet metal back from send cut send. So I did do some like 2D. So Suncut Send is a service that I've been trying out that is like a laser cut metal service for a variety of different kinds of metals. Um, and it's really nice. You basically just have a, you take your DXF. So what I do in Fusion is I make a, a assembly plane and then project my object onto that. Mm. And that makes my, and that makes, basically you project it into, make a sketch and you take that sketch and that's your dxf um export that you can bring that right into into send cut send and so i i did a couple different small pieces um i did like the a pan a gauge panel for my jeep i did um, a bunch of little tiny parts for some like uh some fixturing but then i wanted to try their sheet metal bending stuff and so I act, this is the first time I also used the sheet metal tool in Fusion. I had to like, that's a whole nother thing to have to learn about. But it's super cool though, right? It's super cool. So like the sheet metal tool in Fusion, 
you like tell it what material you are and you can give it rules on like how the how it performs or you can just use the defaults i just use the defaults of like mm-hmm. i'm using this kind of steel and it is this thick and so it knows what kind of radiuses you the can K-factor. like bend stuff to yeah k factor um and i did this hon not show and tell time show and tell time i'll take some pictures for everyone who is listening Ooh, fancy and so these are this is a a faceplate for a 19 inch rack that fits basically fixturing for pcb fixtures mm. and uh and it's bent so it's like all reinforced so it's got like a bend back on the top so it doesn't bow in this is like where the operators will will be interacting with the um the duts and so i've got an extra ridge down here um it's like it's like a little work shelf that's in yeah like a little work shelf and i had all the holes put in so i could put the it has din rail that mounts on it and uh turned out great nice like it's it's perfect now apparently as i was doing this project they have a powder coating service too i'm like dang i should have gotten powder coated yeah i was just about to ask is there any kind of um is that just raw metal uh, it's steel, but it's got a little light oil on it. Okay. So it hasn't... Just the, I've the had bending it for oil. About a, <laughs> I have it for about a week. It hasn't rusted yet. But I, I painted one. I just wiped it down with, you know, acetone and hit it with spray paint and was fine. Yeah. Um, really, really happy with that service. Because uh, I think I bought 10 of those. And it was $250 shipped. Nice. Was pretty pretty good price. Yeah, that's not not half bad. Yeah. Let's um, see here. They have they'll do laser cutting, bending and forming, powder coating, tapping, and then they also have CNC and deburring. So it's it's a it's a it's a job shop. Yeah, they mostly cater towards lasering though. Yeah. So powder coats are a new thing. I haven't tried it yet, but yeah, their bending was a lot of was pretty easy to use. Um, you can probably get away with not. They have like a calculator if you don't have like Fusion's fancy K factor equations built into your CAD tool of like, oh, I need to make it this long. Well, you need to make it actually this long so you can have the curve and that kind of stuff. Fusion but is amazing how it just handles all of that for you. It did it, it was perfect because I got these pieces back and it's all dimensionally accurate. And I'm like, how did how that work? So, so um, in this service, did you okay? So Fusion allows you to design all the stuff in three dimensions, and then there's a button yeah. to to like flatten it, unfold it, yeah, to unfold into it. a DXF. And so when you send that in, um, what is a solid line is considered a cut, and, and then a what's dash a dash line, line is a bend, mm. and it, it software knows dashes and solid lines somehow. I don't know how. But it's figured it out. And so you can tell which ones are which bends, like if it's an in or out bend, and what the degree is. Then you also, to help out, I did upload a, a step file of the thing. I'm like, this is what I'm trying to make. And they, I don't think they haven't used it, but. Yeah. Did, did uh, just out of curiosity, did they have any communication with you? Were there, was there any questions about it? Yeah, so they asked me one question is, I have a, a slot opening. Which is for the like the wires for the DTS to go into the chassis, um, 
They said that was really close to the bend line and it might have deformation on like the lower lip. Mm-hmm. Because I was, I was like right on the tolerance edge. Oh, okay. The, like they don't want you to have a cut that's closer than like a quarter of an inch to the bend. Um, and I'm like, eh, just do it anyways. It won't matter. And it was perfect. It came out it fine. Have, yeah. came out fine. Um, but yeah, that was the only communication they had with me. Most of the time, um, it's been my experience with sheet metal that um, I prefer to send a drawing of the thing and allow them to decide all of the actual actual physicality of things because their machines might be different than whatever or whatever material they're using might have a slightly different K factor or something that causes their bends to require more or less um, fat, shall we say. But... Uh, it sounds like in your situation, it all worked out well. It worked out perfect. That's cool. I'm really happy. I'll, I'll probably... No, I did find is Zometry just launched a sheet metal service too. And so I want to try... Zom- I, I, I'll probably actually send, if there's a revision two of this, which it probably will be, um, over there. And that's not because these don't work. These actually work great. It's just, you know... What, what do we call it? Um... It functions fine, but we have another improvement. Um, this wraps us back around to the beginning of this episode. Uh, yeah, gosh, did we come up with an actual name for it? I don't even remember. We didn't now. come up with one, though. Okay, yeah. One of those, though. I guess pro- prototype creep, like you live in the land of perpetual prototypes. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Perpetual prototyping. I like it. <laughs> um. That's, that's that's the nature with any low volume thing, isn't it? That's a very interesting thing to think about with um, uh, listening to um, the early engineers that worked at Tesla. About like the engineers themselves were working on the cars on the line, and every car was different for a while. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was perpetually prototyping and trying to figure out how to make a car. <laughs> I wonder I wonder when it kind of folded over to instead of like prototyping just to make it work um when were they just prototyping to make it better and then eventually you get to the point where you're like okay we have to be done like yes you could make this better but eventually we have to call it complete I don't think they're at that point yet because I know they still make routine improvements to like their models sure I think they do it on like a sub-assembly basis. So. Yeah, I guess that, that falls under the category of sustaining. Like you have a product that is in production, but you're constantly updating it or making it better. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, for sustainability, I guess. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm going to try Zometries um, next, uh, see how well that one works. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I, I just found that it was very, it was, it was just awesome. I, I, what I really like about Send, Cut, Send is the speed. It was a week. Uh, well, this was like a week and a half turn, but like just getting stuff laser cut, it's a week turn, which is amazing. Um, really, the only way to go faster than that, I think, is to have your own metal laser cutter. Yeah, and and a, something to bend it with. Well, if you're bend, well, bending takes an extra couple days. Yeah, uh, but yet just doing sheet metal work, yeah. Hmm. You know, um, we talked about this a lot, like the the value of engineering drawings and 
you know, h- how much effort should you put into them? If you're talking about a week turnaround from making a thing to getting it, that seems really difficult if you also had to put the generation of an engineering drawing and approval of it in there as well. Because, um, I mean, it sounds like you went straight from the design to uploading it to their thing to buying it, as opposed yeah. to, like, <laughs> what what you might have done in a more traditional sense is, okay, so you've made the design. Now you have to go make the whole drawing. That's another handful of hours of work, of making sure everything is pristine and, and right. And and the, it's also prone to errors. You know, you can you can screw some things up in there. Um so I don't know. Yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Like I I don't know if it replaces the whole drawing thing. I, I still think there's a lot of value in there. But for what you're doing for a quick turnaround thing, that's maybe not like mission critical. That seems like that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm 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 impressed. Yeah, it might be also because I'm a really good designer. <laughs> don't, all don't my break your arm, pat yourself try. on the back, dude. <laughs> <laughs> all my things worked the first try. <laughs> oh sure. Although you just said there's probably another revision of this. Well, it's a, again, it's an improvement. There's nothing wrong with these, but I'm like, yeah. oh, we could probably tweak this one thing and make it better for the operator or something like that. No, of course, yeah. And also, like the next one, probably get them powder coated, so so that be I don't have to paint them, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, th- that was the funny thing about the the uh, pinball leg holder thing. This is this is Rev One. So beyond a failed print, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What happens when you get a couple beers on a late night on a Saturday? Yeah, in the garage at Parker's house. As a uh, you know, uh, any normal person. Uh, normies, I guess, normies. might like might just be like go out and buy a little end table and put it next to the pinball machine, or 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 just like be like, okay, well, I'm gonna sacrifice drinking while I play pinball. But Parker has to go out and design a a whole 3D printed thing to modify his pinball machine. No, seriously, I, it was like Saturday <laughs> afternoon, and I'm like, I'm like, I I need a pinball holder. And I went on Amazon, see if it was on Amazon, like, can get next day. Couldn't get next day. So I'm like, well, I'm going in the garage, designing one and printing one. Designed it, started the print. Um, and then before I went to bed, I saw it failed, cleaned it up, restarted it. Boom, done. And, I'm, and the next day, it was done. I'm like, oh, awesome. So I'm, I'm curious so you, these things exist, right? For pinball? Yeah. Yeah, okay. the the called uh, the brand is Pingulp. Oh, okay. Cuz I was I was about to say like, you know, if uh, for for probably somewhere in the range of 10 to $15,000, you could get a mold made and then those things would be 50 cents a piece to injection mold. Yeah, I think that, you can buy you them know? I think you can buy them for like 12 bucks online. Pingulp Beverage Caddy Pro. Wow, these things are looks like some places are selling them for upwards of thirty bucks. I think it depends on the design, yeah. yeah. It looks like there's a couple different designs. Yeah, I'm seeing that. That's cool. Yep, I like it. I made sure it's another um, venture for you. I do like how I made also it's big enough to fit a pint glass. So Oh, nice. Yeah, some fitted pint glass in it. 
I like how this one is like I'm looking at another picture one. It looks like a like a martini holder. It's kind of fancy. Yours yours is different though because it has the uh the the cutout. It's like it's like a it's a speed holder. Get in there speed faster. Holder. <laughs> <laughs> no, I um the one I saw on Thingiverse had had this U cut out in mm. it. And so I copied that that design aspect. It's nice though, because then when you, you can get your like if you put a pint glass in it, you can put your finger underneath the pint glass to pick it up. It's pretty nice. So uh before we close out here, I just got one cool thing that I saw today that I want to share with everyone. Um I found it on Hackaday. There there's an article up about this uh uh, a thing called the Pinouts book, which uh, I was not aware that this was happening, but uh, a gentleman by the name of Node uh, has unveiled the Pinout book, which isn't actually necessarily a book. It's a it's a PDF, and there's a, a a companion website to go along with it. But this PDF is a fairly comprehensive um, PDF of pinouts of connectors dev boards and processors on a hop mostly hobby level but it's actually really really well done the artwork in it is fantastic and uh it's it, it seems to reduce a lot of confusion um and on top of that like i'm really impressed with how unified all the artwork is in this so basically the, the this book is is broken up into different sections mainly those like i mentioned earlier the connectors or cables and then dev boards uh, like Arduino and, and Raspberry Pi and things like that. And then at the end, there is pinouts of processors themselves, but it's mainly the processors that you'd find on Arduinos and things like that. Regardless, the whole first section about connectors, I think is really useful. I'm going to hang on to this PDF myself. Um, it's just really well drawn and really easily labeled. And every page on this has a picture of the connectors or a or an image of the connectors and then the right page on it has a diagram or a chart table of all of the connectors but also pertinent information about those connectors so uh, if there's anything special about power or voltage or something like that it's written in there so uh, I recommend go uh, check this out just it seems like a really nice useful um, resource available uh, especially for a hobbyist level, if if like you're first getting into USB or something like that, and you don't know the pinouts of USB, as opposed to just googling USB pinout and then seeing a bunch of stuff that looks confusing, this puts it all in one location. Yeah, um, I already downloaded it. It's uh, pretty cool. I'm gonna have to, I, I was actually looking at the t-shirts. So I'm gonna have to get some of those t-shirts too. Yeah. And uh, it also has, like, really comprehensive stuff on the Raspberry Pi compute module, which that has a boatload of pins on it. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, like, it's it's all information that you could find if you just go and Google it. It's just all in one location and a really nice, uh, really well done artwork. So, uh, you know, hats off to Node and their team for uh, putting this together. And it also seems like this is going to be an ongoing project. So this book will get updated continuously um, through the website. So I guess you can just visit the website and get whatever revision is the most up-to-date. But just in terms of getting good information on connector pinouts and stuff, I, I think this is a great resource. Cool. So that was the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. 
Thank you, everyone. Take it easy. Thank you, yes, you, our listener, for downloading our podcast. If you have a cool idea, project, or topic, let Stephen and I know. Tweet us at MacRab or at Longhorn Engineer with no O's or at Analog ENG or emails at podcast at macfab.com. You know, it it feels weird saying like at Longhorn Engineer with no O's. That's really. That's how it's I wonder spelled. if someone has. Well, yeah. You know why it's spelled that way, though? Was it? It's because that's the character limit for a Twitter handle. Oh, is it really? Yeah. That's funny. I, I think they increased it, but when I made that account back in... Can you make a new account and then tie it? I don't think so. But I, you can change your handle, though. Oh, well, yeah, duh. So yeah. See if you can do that. Yeah. Well, also check out our Slack channel, which is at macfab.com slash Slack. Later, everyone. <laughs>